This is episode 319 of the Beyond the Food Show. And today I'm going to teach you the origin of diet culture. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going Beyond the Food Show. I'm Stephanie Dodier, clinical nutritionist and creator of the Going Beyond the Food Method. And after a 25-year dieting career that started at the age of 12, I decided to say hell no to diet culture and undiet my life. It is now my mission to help women undiet their life. If you're new to our podcast, be sure to grab our free podcast roadmap at stephaniedoze.com forward slash roadmap. Ready, sisters? Let's do this. Hello, my sisters. This is going to be an interesting episode. This is going to be Stephanie in full teaching mode. I am known in the non-diet industry as an expert in the history of diet culture. This is something that I teach inside of Undiet Your Life, our coaching program. And this is also something that I teach to professional, health professional that I train. And today I'm going to share one of my students, Dr. Maggie Landis, interviewing me for her podcast, the Eat Influencer Podcast, where I'm teaching her audience, mainly medical doctors, the origin of that culture. And I wanted to bring it over to our podcast because I know from the work that I've done with the hundreds of women through Undiet Your Life that when I teach them that, when I give them this piece of information of why and how, who created diet culture, it is such a liberation for them to understand that weight loss and diet culture was created as a way of controlling women. It helps women detach themselves from the truth that they believe is diet culture. So I don't know where you are listening to this podcast on your journey of detaching yourself from diet culture, but I know for a fact, if you've never heard me teach this very important lesson on the history of diet culture, take the time to listen to this episode. You're going to be mind blown. (laughs) I am telling you, no matter where you are in your journey, this is going to be a game changer. So I'm going to roll in this interview and a reminder, it's someone else interviewing me. So it's going to be very different from a normal episode, but I think this is the perfect format for me to teach this piece of, of information in the context of this podcast is having someone else ask me question because otherwise I can get lost in my thought. There's so much to say on this topic. So we're going to roll in the interview and I'll see you on the next podcast. Welcome back to the Eatfluencer podcast. It's Maggie Landis here. And this week I have got a guest for you that 
you're going to love Stephanie Dodier, who is a clinical nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor. And the way that I found her was several years ago, I started listening to her podcast, which is called uh, Going Beyond the Food Show. And she has done this for a long time. I mean, we're, I think she's up to 300 and something episodes. So um, a long time. And she's obviously knowledgeable about a lot of different aspects of this non-diet approach. But what I think, in my opinion, is her very specific and unique area of expertise that she does better than anybody else is talking about the origins of all of this mess and how we got here and how, you know, this belief system that weight loss and weight management is a health promoting activity and that it was, you know, invented in the, in the clinical environment is, is false. It's actually a tool. Diet culture is a tool of the patriarchy that is rooted in a lot of um, cultural context that you would be surprised to hear about. And I don't even want to try to spoil the punchline because Stephanie tells it so much better than I do. But you're going to love this. We are talking today about the origins of diet culture and really the um, you know beginnings of this modern weight loss industry. So let me read Stephanie's bio and we will get right into the interview. Uh, Stephanie, as I mentioned, is a clinical nutritionist, a certified intuitive eating counselor, and the host of two top-rated podcasts in the non-diet industry. Uh, she's also the creator of Going Beyond the Food Method, and she founded Undiet Your Life, a global coaching and online training platform focused on helping women make peace with food and their bodies so they can live a fulfilling life now. She's also the founder of Undiet Your Coaching Practice, a global professional training platform. So without any further ado, let's cut over to our interview with Stephanie Dodier. Well, welcome back to the podcast. And today we have Stephanie Dodier with me. I have to, I have to say before I let Stephanie even open her mouth that I am fangirling big time and she and her content and her podcast, which now has like hundreds, hundreds of episodes was a extremely valuable tool to me as I transitioned into this space. So I'm really flattered that you gave me your time today and to serve my audience and welcome Stephanie. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for all the kind words. Oh, well, I really mean it. I, I, um, I just learned so much from your content and what uh, before we get into really yeah. the meat of the conversation today, if you're comfortable sharing a little bit of your story, because nobody that I have met that works in this space started in this space. We all came from diet culture and came from many of us, a professional training of diet culture. So I'm curious how, what it was that motivated you to sort of change your practice or any, anything about that transformation you'd like to share, just because I think it gives a little insight to where we come from. Yeah. So for me, it came from my personal journey. So I've got a history of 25 years of on and off diets. 
And it accumulated to being in a nutrition practice, trying to control my weight, because that's all I knew of the experience of being a woman in this world, you had to control your weight. And sitting in practice and hearing the stories of my clients and my patient that had the exact same journey as me, and they were coming to me to find the solution, yet I hadn't found the solution myself because truly there's no solution. That's why we keep looking for the solution. And my anxiety escalated to the point where I started to have panic attack and felt I was an imposter. And it turned into binge eating and all kinds of coping mechanism. And in this continual search of a solution, um, I got put in front of a book called Health at Every Size by Dr. Lindo Bacon two mm-hmm. times and me completely denying it, throwing it out, refusing to read it. And by the third time with my spiritual belief, I'm like, okay, there's a reason why this book keeps coming back every two right. months in my life. And then I read it and that got me into healing my own relationship with health and food. And then could not sustain a normal nutrition practice anymore. And that's when I decided to close and other shift in my personal life. And then I went and worked online and created beyond the food. Yeah, that's how I got to what I do today. You know, and I we all have, I think a lot of that sort of uncovering what we're doing is in this crazy making space, because I very much like you was trying to control my weight, I'm doing air quotes, you know, manage my health by weight loss and all this stuff while I'm telling all my patients to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not working for me. So why we are under the guise that it's going to work for them. Maybe it's not us. I mean, (laughs) let's, like, you know, maybe we, the people are not the problem. Um, well, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And, and I think it's, um, very courageous to be able to transition, to transform like the whole model of your practice as a clinical nutritionist, because, um, a lot of people probably wouldn't have the guts to do that because it's, you kind of have to like, they want to save face. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, for me, it was my body not being able to sustain the lie of telling one thing, but living another way that like, for me, freedom of spirit and alignment in my values is a core value of mine before this transition. And I could not sustain not being in a line in my personal values. So My business and the way I see work for me is an allowance or tool that allows me to live my life. So that shift in thinking about what work is had had occurred way before my transition out of diet culture. So it was natural for me to make the shift because it was uh, in alignment to my personal value outside of my work. Right. That makes sense. Yes. Oh, absolutely. No, I understand that completely. So here's the reason, the real mm-hmm. reason I invited you onto this podcast is I feel like you are the 
premier storyteller in terms of the history of diet culture. I learned what I know about the history of diet culture a lot from you and your teaching because there is a lot of information most people don't even have a clue. They they think when we think diet culture they think of diets and they think, you know, weight watchers invented the diet in 1980 or what you know there's um there's way, way, way more history. And honestly, this cultural anti-fat bias is way more sinister than drinking diet soda. So I'd like for you to help us kind of go back. And I know this people write books and books and books about this. So we're not going to, you know, there's actually not a lot of book on this. Really? (laughs) There's not a a lot of book on the history of diet cult. There's a lot of books, which we'll get into the conversation around, uh, feminist studies that kind of shed a partial light on diet culture, but it's very rare. I think I know of two books only. Oh my gosh. Well, I think the third one maybe will be yours then. Yeah. (laughs) So where do we start for somebody, you know, a lot of my audience is probably like, what, what do you mean? Sinister origins? I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, let's go way back. Tell us a little story. Yeah. So you asked me a question when we were going back and forth on email to prepare for this. And you asked me the question, um, I want you to answer like, do you believe in BMI or what do you tell your client when they ask you a BMI? So here's my answer. That's going to get us started. When people, when women ask me, because I work exclusively with people identified as women ask me, so what about the BMI? My answer back is a question, which is what do you want to believe about the BMI? Because we we think that there is only one way of thinking about everything in the world. The truth is what we think about the BMI is entirely up to us. There's not a police of belief out there that's going to come knocking at your door and say, hey, you have to believe this about the BMI. Think about politics, right? There's in most of our country or Canada, the United States, there's two big political party with two different type of ideology. The same thing with the BMI. You can choose to believe what you're hearing, which is that the BMI is the way to mark your health or not, or you can believe that it's BS. You have that capacity to make the decision and nobody will come knocking at your door. And the reason why I formulate this into an option and a choice is because this mindset that we have to adhere to one way of thinking is what allows diet culture to thrive. Because we believe we have no choice but to lose weight. Oh, yeah. It's diet culture completely takes our autonomous thinking away. Yeah. I mean, takes our agency completely away. And that's how it thrives. When we break that and we claim back our agency, that's when we start questioning everything. That's what happened to me. And that's how I kept digging and finding out like through my professional training, BMI was the centric point of all our teaching, right? If whatever condition was present, people had to lose weight first before you could do anything else. Right. And I kept asking why, why, why is that? Why, 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 why? 
And as I said, there's very little resource to explain the why, because people don't think they have an option in their way of thinking. So through research, what I discovered is the centric notion of weight and health is about 125 years old. Mm -hmm. 125 years ago, late 1800, beginning of the 1900, if you were sick and you went to a physician, it was not even in their scope to look at your weight. First of all, there was no scale. Yeah, I, I do know that they didn't even have sort of like platform standing spring scales for like a long no. time. Yeah, right. Right. So weight was not even a question Like the, the medical world and society accepted that people came in different size and shape. So 125 years ago, the human has been on this planet for, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years. It's never been a question about weight. Why all of a sudden are we so obsessed with weight? So when you start digging, say, so what happened in the beginning of the 1900, the fashion, the way that women were told to look from a beauty standpoint, from a fashion standpoint, that's the trigger point to weight coming into the forefront of medicine. So back in the beginning of the 1900, there was a phenomenon for women called the flappers. Mm -hmm. So for people who don't know about the flappers, the, these were the first generation of women out of uh, the feminist culture where women were starting to claim the right to vote the right to work. And then this young breed of women were pushing the boundaries and the limit to claim back their full freedom. They were called the flappers. And part of the fashion trend was to have a flat body. They would wrap their breasts. So they were have no curve in the breast. They would wrap their butts. They have no curve. And so they pencil, super stick pencil shape. Yeah ironing board. You know, know the whole expression of an ironing board, that's where it comes from. So women wanted to be thin to adopt this look of the flapper and a free woman. And through that, physicians started to see an opportunity for them to make money because people wanted to lose weight and physician and medicine came in and say, Oh, but we have a solution. It's called dieting. Right. Stop eating and then you're going to lose weight. And then gradually an industry was born out of this. Now, remember, beginning of the 1900 is capitalism that's booming as well. Everybody's in to make money. It's no longer old money. People passing money from family and generation to generation. Anybody can make money with the American dream. So there's an entire industry that's born out of this. And one of those is the scale. Beginning of the 1900, that's when people started to manufacture scale and put scales in every home. Uh Diet books were being written. Um, Gym started to sprung an entire industry. And with anything in the capitalism world, the more people buy in and the more you spread the message, the more money you make. And it started to invade medicine. And then gradually and slowly, they started to make a link between the weight of people and health. And that's when dieting and weight loss entered full on the medical world. 
Right. Well, and it's um, been going on now for so long. I mean, I know a hundred years is not so long in the history of man, but for people listening to this podcast who are less than a hundred years old, then it's your whole entire career, your whole yes. existence, your whole perspective is that this is just normative and accepted. And there's no, like you said, no, no critical thinking. No. Think about fat is bad for you in the nutrition world, right? 30 years ago was about the prime of that, right? In the late 80s and beginning of 90s, we, we as a society were adamant that fat was going to kill you. Don't eat fat, low fat, everything. The entire food industry shifted to low fat. 30 years later, what do we know? Right. Fat is not the problem. Right. So I want people to think about, for those of you who are hearing me and thinking, well, she's wrong. It's proven. It's science. What we think we know today in 30 or 40 years from now can be completely wrong. Right. And it should be, honestly, science is allowed to evolve. I mean, that, and it should evolve as we get better information. Um, but that's the thing that always has puzzled me is sort of this idea of nutrition science that it's like not, it's, it's fossilized. And some guy named Ansel Keys, you know, wrote a paper in the fifties or something, and we are treating it like it's the Holy Bible. It's only 60 years old. Yeah. Think about this. Like nutrition science, there's a whole phenomenon called nutritionism, which is the obsession with nutrition science. But when you step back and you allow yourself to think, what do I want to think? And you start looking, the science of nutrition is only 60 to 70 years old. What yeah. did we do before that? Meanwhile, we are the <laughs> right. dominant species on the planet and we never had nutrition science. And coincidentally enough, since we do have nutrition science, we don't do better. We're actually, in a way, sicker than we were before when we didn't worry about nutrition science. Right. Well, and that's, that's what I like to say for, um, you know, I do come up against other physicians and health professionals that are, are critical. And I, I understand that. I think you should be critical when you're learning about something and, um, they just can't wrap their heads around the idea that, uh, weight is not a great measure of health. And I said, okay, let's just for one second, play your side of this argument. All right. And let's say there is a link between losing weight and becoming healthier, which for the record, me and Stephanie and anybody else in this movement does not agree with, but let's just say that that's where your belief system is. The practice of you telling all your patients and clients to lose weight is not even working. It's not even There's working. no solution of how to make the people lose the weight. What's the solution? Right. right there. No, there's no, that's the whole thing. That's how you ended up having panic attacks because there's no answer. It is a crazy making space. So why? That's when, when you're start thinking, I have the freedom to think what I, why are people so sold on this? Well, I, what I, what is the answer? I, I think that, um, nobody realizes there is an option to think differently. Just like you said, it's, um, you know, I make the analogy sometimes I say, what if it's like a, if you asked a fish that swims in the water, like what's it like to be underwater? Mm -hmm. They wouldn't even have an answer because there's no, uh, 
they have no perspective on any other way of living. So they can't even identify and describe what they are immersed in because it's like the only thing they know. And I feel, do you yeah. think diet culture is like that? Yeah. The information is out there. It's not like the information, we live in a social structure, an authoritarian kind of political system where the information is kept under lock. Google in North America or all three countries available, yet people don't search for the thing. You have to ask why. And my answer to this and the answer of basic life philosophy is people live under fear. And when people live under fear, they don't challenge their beliefs. So what are they protecting themselves from? They're protecting themselves out of rejection, out of being outcast. So as a doctor, 90% of your colleague in your industry believes that weight is helped. You standing out and saying, actually, I don't believe this takes a lot of courage. Well, I, I think, oh, thank you for saying that. But I, but I think also is that once I learned and, and educated myself on the science of this, cause I, I frame myself as a scientist. I mean, sure. that's just, I I'm convinced I'm the kind of person who's convinced by evidence. And when I learned the evidence about this, there is just no other way. I mean, there, I can't not do this and it's not about running a business or doing this or that. It's like, I can't exist thinking any other way, but this. But what, so again, without coaching you, but there is a reason why you allowed yourself to take data and give it or allow yourself to have a different perspective. Because the data, when we look at science and data, it can be spin any way we want. And we know that, right? Mm -hmm. You'll take a study and you spin it the way you want to prove your argument. The reason why you allowed yourself to look at the number and have a different perspective, it's much bigger than just data science. You allowed yourself to think differently because you allowed yourself to move past fear into what does feel right for me. And that's, I'm going to link that back to the history of diet culture. Diet culture is a tool. It has been created on purpose in order to keep women, the people identified as women, subdue, powerless, in a social structure that require for women to do that in order to uphold men in power. And that's what we call the social structure of patriarchy. Patriarchy is what we live into for the last 2,500 years. So most people are not even aware that we live in a social structure called patriarchy, but it is the social structure we live in. And in order to maintain and sustain a patriarchy social structure that puts men in position of power, different tools have to come into play at different time in our evolution. So if you dial back the clock, from the middle of like seven or 800 to about the 16, 1700, it was religion. Religion was used against women in order to keep them subdued, quiet, and not claiming back their power. 
And we kind of blew this out of the water in the 1800 as a group of women. We then started to claim back political power. That's the first thing we went for. We want to be able to vote. And then we started to claim back our right to work. And the more we started to claim back and the pressure of religion wasn't working, poof, diet culture came to existence. Now the thought was we're going to control women through their bodies. And did it work? Well, Absolutely. yeah. And it's still working. I mean, that's the yes. whole, for, from their point of view, it's the perfect tool of control because it is, it doesn't, um, there's no escape mechanism. There's no endpoint. Well, it doesn't work. Therefore, you never feel that you've achieved and that you can be good enough. So you spend your entire life spinning your wheel that you're not good enough. Therefore, you, meet, you maintain a powerless mindset, a way of living that allows patriarchy to continue to thrive. Yeah, that's it's why very, diet culture exists. It's very much establishes this uh, victimization mentality. <laughs> right? Well, when you live in a social structure, which ninety percent of the population in the world that's that's binary, it's either men or women in power. Very little right now are women in power. Matriarchal society almost are inexistent right now. Then you have to play one against the other. <laughs> And that's what diet culture does. That's why most, well, in my world, it's only women that I work with. And when I asked you at the beginning, I said, do you work mostly with women? People who do this work of helping people out of diet culture is 99% women because that's who's affected by diet culture. Right. I mean, absolutely. The most we have big target on our back. Yeah. And it's funny because when you talk to a man who's in a, body that is considered large and they go to the doctor and doctor will tell them to lose weight. They don't give a shit. They may decide (laughs) to do it. Sorry about the word, but no, that's fine. Yeah. Like they'll, okay, I'll lose some weight or they may decide to completely ignore it and they just carry on with their life where a woman goes into a doctor's office and say they need to lose weight. That's the end of our world. Like everything will stop running and she'll focus everything on losing weight. Yeah, because the the men generally don't feel like it's um, an oppressive ask. No. You know, it's just sort of like it's just kind of like a thing, like like a suggestion. Should, yeah, it's like oh, you should probably brush your teeth too, and yeah. you should probably, you know, whatever that kind of stuff. Yeah, we take it as an order, something that we must obey by. The biggest shift, and I just coached somebody on that last Friday businesswoman who operates a business where it's millions of dollars and she was petrified to go to her doctor. She has 50 plus employees. She's used to being in power. She used to command people, yet she was terrified to go to the doctor. And I said, so what is the difference between the contractors you hired and your doctor? Wow, the doctor is smarter than me. They know more than me. That's other BS. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You hire your doctor the same way you hire. And I know this is going to offend people. Sorry, anyone. But that's the fact of life. People hire us. We are the provider. They are the consumer. They pay us. So you know what? 
they can fire us. And that's what I said to this woman. If you, every time you go to your doctor, you feel shame and you get told to do things you don't want to do, fire the damn doctor and hire someone else. Right. Well, exactly. And this is, this is what I teach, you know, particularly I've got a really unique perspective as a doctor and as a person in a large body who has been the recipient of weight stigma in a doctor's office. I kind of have seen, you know, both sides of this equation and, um, it is a, it is a, I will just say it is a privilege to be able to pick your healthcare. I mean, that is a privilege that not everybody has the opportunity to do that, but even so, um, there are lots of ways to, um, empower yourself to navigate that environment and not take on the shame and, you know, really, um, be, totally derailed by these encounters that in my opinion, have turned out to be a whole lot more like weight care than they are healthcare. Well, I'll say this to you. I live in a country in a province where we don't have a choice of a doctor, but mm-hmm. I have a choice of how I show up in that office. Yes. Yes. So when I show up to my doctor in a, what's considered a large body, I don't get told what to do. I come in, I have a problem. And if you don't treat me in the way that I feel is respectful for me, you're going to know it. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you will. Like, just like, I don't have a choice to deal with you because that's who was given to me by my free healthcare system, but you better be sure you're going to respect me all along the way. Right, exactly. And there's a way to establish mutual respect because there are a lot of doctors and, and I'm going to say other health professionals like dietitians and nutritionists and stuff that are not, um, ill meaning. They just are ignorant of this body of information. Um, but I'll say this to you, this has a lot to do with their own belief in themselves. Well, and that's true. Right? That's true. When you live in fear for whatever reason, you will tend to apply fear to other people in order to get them to behave the way you want to behave. But when you live in a place of peace and love towards yourself, you will very seldomly apply fear, shame, whatever other hill mechanism to get people to comply to the way you think they should comply. And that's the model of patriarchy. Like patriarchy as a social structure, yes, puts men in power, but there's a certain way of living your life, which is fear-based. I mean, this, this whole colonialism, like if you look back in the, from the 1200 to the 1700, that was patriarchy in full force, like the whole white men controlling the world, going out to other country and complying other country and stealing the land. Some people unfortunately, still live with this mindset today in their practice. Mm -hmm. They believe they have the ultimate truth and they force people into compliance by using shame. Well, yeah. And I think that there's probably even a disproportionate number of people who go into the health professions because of these own, their own issues. Like you say, there's um, like, I mean, and that's, that's like probably why you went to be a nutritionist. I don't know. I mean, like you think that you're, you know, so much about food and eating in your body and you're controlling your own body. So you might as well control everybody else's body. 
right? I went into nutrition trying to fix myself, mm-hmm. yeah. right? I'm like, nobody up to now has found a solution to like allow me to control my way. I'm going to use my brain. I know I'm smart. I'm going to go and study the shit out of this so mm-hmm. I can figure out how to do it. So I went into this trying to fix myself. And 77% of dietetic students, based on research, have a desire to go in nutrition to fix themselves. Yeah, that is, that's problematic. But that's a fact. Oh, I know. I know it is. It's, um, but that's why it's even, even more critical um, to amplify this message that you and I, you know, believe mm-hmm. in this movement to change the profession, because that's like, honestly, changing the professional practice may even be more challenging than changing culture at baseline. Um, it's a higher wall to overcome. For me, the way to change the practice of nutrition, particularly, because that's who I work mostly with or health coaches, anything to do with health and nutrition, we need to shift our intention and our desire to help people recover from diet culture and the damage that was done to these two to three generation, mainly of women. And now we need to take these people that are 60, 70, 50, 40, 30, and bring them back to a healthy relationship to their body, to food and to their health. That's our work for the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah. It's a, uh, I sort of call it a systematic unlearning. Yes. You know, the body, I believe the human body fundamentally works at baseline yeah. and we have diet culture has just layered this level of like control and micromanaging and all this things we think we know. Um, that's what we have to like undo <laughs> when I work with people. The first thing I say is, listen, I'm not going to tell you to do anything. I'm going to help you undo all the things that you are doing and believing. Yes. And to trust yourself because this whole model around health food and what it is to be a woman in this culture is based on you not trusting yourself and not thinking you're good enough. So in a parallel to this work of unlearning, we also need to build self-trust and confidence in people we work with. And for you, maybe it's just a, what I call an average person who's not in the field. It's not just about learning intuitive eating. If you're going into this and you're approaching intuitive eating, which is a mechanism of recovery for the relationship to food, and you're approaching it like, I'm just going to fix my food, but I'm not going to work on myself, then intuitive eating is not going to work. And that's what my first few years in practice were, were applying intuitive eating like a diet. Like, again, a set of rules, this is how I need to behave around food. But the problem is much deeper. It's in the way we show up to food. We show up to food with a lack of self-trust. There's no freaking way that intuitive eating is going to work because it's based on self-trust. So you have to work on your own self, the way you think, the way you believe in order for intuitive eating to work. Yes, absolutely. Well, and it's, um, I, I tell people intuitive eating 
work. I mean, it works. It, it has to work because it's not a diet. It's actually just a description of how the human body and mind work in relationship to food and eating. I mean, it just, it's a description of something that's happening like in our native operating system, but mm-hmm. we have mucked around <laughs> with our own, you know, sort of operating system that you can't, like you said, you can't just bring it in and be like, oh, it's one more thing to learn. And when I learn this, everything's fixed because no, no, that's especially for people identified as women. Right. So we talked about this whole social construct that is patriarchy and it's a, it's a blinding to most of us. We don't know until somebody points it off to us that we live in a patriarchal society, that everything is built to put people identified as men in power. Diet culture is a tool in order to uphold patriarchy. So in order for us to liberate ourselves from diet culture as women, we need to unwind all this stuff way beyond food. We need to unwind what it means to be a woman in the society we live in. And most of us, for me, up to my mid-20s, I was under the model taught by the women in my life and my family of origin that my mission was to be soft, not loud, compliant, beautiful, put my makeup on, do my hair every day. The good girl. Yeah. And that was my duty in this world. Right. Until I realized that, yeah, it's a possibility, but I also have this possibility on this way of being as well. So I work with a lot of women who don't even know that they could not wear makeup if they decided to. Like, this is how fundamental it is, Uh right? They could decide to live in a body that doesn't fit social standard. They have that choice. But most women don't even allow themselves to think that. That's the work. Yeah, that's the work. And my hope with like you and I and all of our, you know, colleagues in this space that if enough people make the choice to kind of sideline the social standard and the cultural norm, maybe in 10 or 20 or 30 years, that will no longer be the cultural norm. Like there'll be a new norm. Do you believe that could happen? Do you think that's possible? I believe that can happen and it will happen through a grassroots movement. So again, you got to like, you got to pull yourself out and think about this. We, as a society, we have, we are in a patriarchal society and in most first world country, we are in a capitalist society. What runs our society right now is men and money. Mm-hmm. So the weight loss industry, the beauty industry are multi billions, 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 and billions of dollars. They are not going to quit. They are upholding to their shareholder a responsibility of making money. So there's no way they're going to wake up one day and say, hey, we're not going to produce weight loss program anymore. And we're not going to sell anti-wrinkle creams no more. Right. So we can't, we can't hold on for that. That is not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen. The only way to shift this industry 
is through the people that have been victimized by this industry, in this case, mostly, not only, but in vast majority, people identified as women that will decide to say no. Yeah, no. I'm not Just, buying the product no more. Yeah, no, we're voting with our dollars. I mean, if you yes. if you don't have the voice, and that's what I tell people all the time, there's, I mean, you and I have no problem speaking out, being vocal, being visible, but there are sure. people that aren't in that mindset yet. But you know what I said, your dollars matter, like every dollar you spend supporting this behemoth uh, machine of diet culture, you're, you're voting really. Yes. So that's the grassroots movement. So us as a collective over the next 20 years, are not going to buy the product no more and critical here. We are going to bring women into this world and we are not going to teach them about thy culture. We're not going to, they're not going to, the, the 10 year olds, the, the new babies that are being born, don't bring them up in thy culture. Right. Because if you do that, you're getting a victim ready for the weight loss industry to come in and then prey on them. We have to raise the next generation of women out of diet culture and the beauty industry so they never become a victim of it. And in 20, 30 years from now, which is about the gap of a generation, these young girls today are going to look at diet culture and not buy into it. And gradually the industry will, quote, die. And be honest, it's going to shift into something else, whatever it's going to be the next thing, it's going to morph into something else, unless we change our financial structure in a society, which is a whole other conversation. That's a whole other podcast. Yes. <laughs> well, listen, Stephanie, I, I mean, this, we could talk for a long time because there's obviously so many, um, avenues for everybody yeah. to participate in this I want to almost say revolt sort of revolution. Um, yes. You don't have to be a doctor or a, have a podcast or be a dietitian or a nutritionist or run a business or anything like every person, particularly, as you said, people identifying as women can change a little something. So a lot. Uh, yeah, a lot. And collectively it's a lot. So I appreciate you, you know, really empowering. That's your superpower. You're an empowering um, you know, maven, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, thank you. <laughs> you're a very, very good at that because I live in my power. Yeah. So it comes naturally, right? It comes doing... naturally to me. It's just like not being in my power and having women feel they're not empowered. That's outrageous to me. Right. Yeah. It's like emerging from the matrix. Once you see the other yes. side, you just cannot go back. There's no unseeing it. Right. No. Right. Well, I really appreciate your time. I would love for you to um, just share real quick, and I will put links in the show notes, mm -hmm. you know, to your programs and stuff where people might be able to find you if they want to um, hear more from you, see your content, or potentially even work with you. So, my world lies under a program called Undiet Your Life, where we learn how to think differently and then make our own decision in our life based on how we want to leave our life. So it's a lot around thought works and mindset. That's why we call it undiet your life because it's, yeah, it's food. Yes. It's body. But when you do this work, you shift your entire life.
over time, obviously not overnight, but over time you yeah. shift your entire life. So look for me under Undiet Your Life. And if you're a podcast listener, my podcast that Maggie was referring to earlier is called Going Beyond the Food. And we are at 330 episodes. So there's a lot of content for you there. That is awesome. 330? No yeah. kidding. Wow. How long have you been doing this? Since I closed my years. business five, it's going to be six years in October of this year. The first podcast was recorded the last day of my clinic. I remember the, <gasps> the podcast mic was on my client's space when they came into my office. And that's where I recorded <laughs> the first podcast. Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you for um, giving me your time and more than that, giving my audience your expertise and your insight here. I am so grateful you joined us. Thank you, Maggie. So good, so good, so good. Um, I cannot recommend Stephanie's content enough. So please go to the show notes and check out her website. Click over to her Instagram bio. Um, you also, if you follow her on Instagram, not only get to learn a whole lot about diet culture and the non-diet approach to nutrition, she is a world traveler. So you get to see some really cool uh, some really cool photos that basically, if you are a homebody like me, you can go on a virtual vacation with Stephanie on her Instagram account. So highly recommend. 